it gobbles up time. Like it, it's amazing how quickly those flow states, like when you're in it, time isn't even really a component. So before you know it, you're back to your, your, your normal state of being. And yeah, I mean, when they, they say time flies when you're having fun. I think time flies when you're having flow. And I think if you were in flow state your whole life, like you would just be dead <laughs> before you knew it. There'd be no punctuation. It's just like, it, it just, it unfolds so quickly. So I kind of, I value that there's like moments of flow where I can kind of get that, that punctuation and be like, ah, okay, you know, I'm doing everything right. This, this is such a magic special moment and unfolding, but then, you know, kind of slowing things down and getting back entangled and uh, into the concepts and stuff. I kind of appreciate that cycle. Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. Just a heads up, guys. Uh, in this episode, Ryan and I talk about some adult topics. So if you've got young, impressionable ears in the car, in the room with you, um, might be a good idea to listen to this one later. Sounds good? Cool. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is a good friend of mine from Fort Collins, Colorado. We got Ryan Stover in the house. Ryan, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, man, thanks for having me. 
definitely it's cool we've been talking about this for a little while working out the um calendar element and uh figuring out the timing that would be divinely you know put together and it feels mm -hmm. like this is it this is it <laughs> well why don't we start by you telling us who you are where you're from how you got to where you're at and what it is that you do with your life Wow, that's a big question right up front. Well, how I got in this chair is I walked from that side of the room over here and sat down. And if you want me to go back farther than that, it's going to take a little bit more time. <laughs> but I am in Fort Collins, as you said, uh, I've lived in Colorado all my life. And I would just describe myself as a restlessly creative individual. So I've never really fit many molds. I've always butted up against authority figures and I've constantly been trying to figure out um, you know, what my place and uh, purpose is. And so that's led me to a number of different adventures um, from the business that I ran for 10 years that was all about helping other creatives uh, launch their projects uh, up until the present moment where I'm kind of an unexpected YouTube uh, celebrity and kind of making my way in that world of more people and uh, interactions. But yeah, I think I just come come before you today as a, a person whose uh, labels are sort of in transition and just kind of, uh, yeah, stepping into a new chapter, as I think a lot of us are in this kind of uh, crazy time period we're living in. I like it. I like it. That's a good approach, bucking the labels, because I mean, labels are just that. And I feel like, like as a person, we like to sort of organize our known reality and we put things in boxes and that feels good. And then we can sleep well at night because we can like label that and we can do that and we can put these people in this situation. And um, that works really well for one person looking out at the world. But then, when you are the person that's being put in a box with a label, then it can feel constricting or not accurate or one day it's accurate and another day it's not. And I like how you address that directly. Yeah, it's interesting when you meet someone, there's this whole dance of um, small talk and it's really useful when you have these concrete labels to exchange I think it helps us just tune out quicker. Like, oh, I'm a dentist. Yeah, I fix cars. Like, okay, like just telling me that I can imagine your whole life. I don't really need to engage with you. But we've sort of built a culture on those shortcuts and it can be uh, a double-edged sword when you're, when you're moving outside of the labels and uh, trying to find kind of an identity that is more what you're doing rather than what you think of yourself. So I appreciate that sentiment up front. And especially in the uh, vein of the arts, I know a lot of people who are, I would just describe them as artists, but you know, if you're, if you're kind of going between freelance projects and one day you're painting a mural, the other day you're doing a children's book or you're uh, doing these different things. I have some friends who have just said outright, like, I'm just gonna go back to school and become a nurse because that way, when I talk to people, I don't have to explain all of this stuff that I'm you know, doing or not doing. I can just like, here's my offering. This is, this is how to think of me and we can move on to the next conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, uh, it would be so interesting if you just 
embraced it. And then, you know, if that person who's going to go back to nursing school to, so that they don't have to go through that whole dance, if they would just say, you know, I'm, I'm a complex being and uh, I'm sort of indefinable. And you just leave it at that and watch people's heads spin a little bit. And then <laughs> if they can't handle it, well, sorry, this is a whole new world that we live in. And yeah, okay. and I think, and I think for creatives, like we have, I think we need a lot of downtime. And so I, I do nothing really well. And I love people that can also do nothing. But the world doesn't always understand that. So sometimes there's this self-doubt that if I don't have a label and I'm just, you know, kind of bumbling through life, trying to find my next uh, creative endeavor, that it's, we're somehow devalued by the culture at large. So that's where it is nice to just be able to say, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a barista. Next question. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. When people ask me like, um, so what do you do? I, I usually answer either kind of like snarkily, uh, I breathe up oxygen and take up space, or I will, you know, make up some little um, non-committal uh, explanation. Like I've been telling people lately that I'm a recovering entrepreneur. So <laughs> that kind of slips the noose. We don't have to go any deeper than you want to, but yeah, so it's fun. You know, we've already spent five minutes just on the introductions, but I think that's, that's part of the the thing in life that I really enjoy is that, uh, especially as um, you know, creative people, we can look at people and objects and see beyond the the prescribed use. So that you know, and there's a great thing from Alan Watts where he has like a trash can, and he's like, "What is this?" It's like, "Oh, it's a trash can." He's like, "Well, I'll dump everything out. I'll use it like this. Now it's a drum. I can put it here. I can sit on it. Now it's a seat." So I think seeing the world in those types of terms is a more fruitful kind of headspace than introductions, labels, limitations. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more present way of living too, of like labeling things by what they are at the moment and, or just trying not to, or just understanding that a label isn't a long-term thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's a difference in looking at the actual object and there's a difference that lo in looking at the way that we need to label things and we want to do that and that we want it to stay that way because otherwise we have to like reorient ourselves. But if we just accept that everything is changing all the time and a label is just that and it's temporary, then that maybe could like solve a problem there. Hmm. You are what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you are what you're doing. Nice. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this YouTube situation? <laughs> okay. So this is like real current events. Um, yeah. So I ran a company for 10 years. It was a tech startup, huge roller coaster. Um, you know, I just, I sunk my whole, all my time, all my energy, creativity into that specifically. And then at the beginning of this year, I got fired from that company that I started along with my co-founder, whole other story. I mean, just a kind of a sad capitalist story in the end. Um, so at the beginning of this year, I was uh, really in this space of trying to find some new definitions. You know, I went from being uh, a leader of a, of a company to just another guy on the street and really trying to figure out where I wanted to invest my time. and. Uh, 
yeah, the YouTube thing was totally unexpected. It's, um, I don't even know if it's really worth going too, too far into um, the topic here, but I got swept up in the fever of cryptocurrency, like a lot of people this year. And I made a video that was never intended to um, really be seen by anyone other than my friends and family, but it ended up getting picked up as like uh, kind of the description for why the market crashed. And so before I knew it, I was having, you know, tens of thousands of people subscribing to my channel. And this is my like artsy fartsy, you know, where I interview people, the videos that I had on there previously were like how to make foam lightsabers for kids. So like out of the blue, I'm getting this um, YouTube channel featured on Yahoo Finance and picked up by some of the biggest uh, people in the space. And then I'm doing interviews on the shows. <laughs> so within a couple of weeks, I went from maybe like a few dozen subscribers on YouTube to right now I'm at about 180,000. <laughs> and so it's been a weird ride because I've had to navigate this strange unfolding where I got really burnt out with the whole crypto aspect really quick. But what I'm still very interested in is the, the humanity of it and how these topics of money, you know, a lot of people come to something like crypto because they're trying to be liberated from the day to day, or they want more time to work on their projects, or there's, there's this deeper why for most people that come into that space. So I'm trying to do this um, kind of like Indiana Jones when he takes the gold thing off and puts the sandbag on. I'm trying to almost, you know, fool this audience to come along with me because we're talking about the topic they're interested in, but I'm progressively getting more into these types of topics and just trying to challenge people a little bit more to be mindful um, in their lives, which is sort of the, the heart and soul of Uncomplication. So that's my website um, and my podcast. <clears throat> which has just been kind of like yours here, like a forum to talk to interesting people and just, you know, go behind the scenes of uh, different creative endeavors. So yeah, it's been weird going from um, the leader of a company to nobody on the street to now like kind of having this expectation to get on the camera a couple times a week and, you know, address an audience of thousands of people. 180,000 people. <laughs> whoa <laughs> but you know i'm really making the most of the opportunity um the next video i'm putting out is going to be all just thinly veiled masturbation jokes so it's it's a great um recipe for yeah burning the house down and laughing as it goes oh my god that's really funny <laughs> yeah nice um i mean it feels like that the the indiana jones move that to me it feels like you could be sort of direct about it and you're naturally going to lose you know some portion some per percentage of those people um because they're only looking they only came to you for one reason but then you're probably going to get a big chunk of people that are going to stick around for you know the philosophic dive in that it sounds like you're doing um are you noticing like as you go along are you are you feeling that certain people are in and some certain people aren't are you losing people and then gaining people or how's that working yeah the really fortunate thing i mean i'm really grateful for this opportunity because i didn't intend it i didn't have to work very hard for it which is hard to say because there are a lot of people that 
you know, this is what they want to be doing with their time. And it, it takes a lot to build up a channel and, and get subscribers. And so I feel like I have this kind of unexpected luxury where I, you know, I've never asked anyone to subscribe or smash the like button or any of that stuff. I'm really just like, Hey, you're here. And I'm just going to keep bringing myself and these ideas. And yeah, if you don't like it, no hard feelings. Thank you for unsubscribing and go on your merry way. But I think kind of the deeper um, meditation there is, and, and this has happened to me a couple of times in my life, and, and it, I'm assuming it, it probably resonates with you and others as well, is that sometimes the world brings you this opportunity and it's not shaped quite right. It's not actually the project that we wanted or the, I don't know, you find yourself all of a sudden heavily engaged and putting a lot of time and effort towards something that you're not even really sure you want. And I've had that happen a number of times in life where I've actually, you know, got off the ride or I went on the ride way too long, even though I knew it wasn't the one I wanted to be on. And so it is this strange um, mixture of being open to what the universe is bringing and, and, you know, just accepting that kind of go with the flow mentality, but then also recognizing that you do have um, the ability to point your actions in ways that are aligned with your values. And if you don't do that, the world will make you what, what everyone else wants you to be. But if you can just stay true, even if you piss people off, even if, you know, and that's happened a lot to me this year where I've, you know, I've kind of found this power of saying no to certain things or like, I, I can see where the energy is unfolding, but like, I see how this one aspect of it is something that I don't want to invite in. And so just kind of having that um, intention while still being open to things is a really interesting balance. Um, I would not say that I've got it figured out, but I'm, you know, this being my, uh, <laughs> I've been around this uh, merry-go-round quite a few times now of just opportunities coming up and some I've done really well with and some I've really just dropped the ball and others, you know, I, I probably ended up letting them get the best of me, but I think, yeah, I am really interested in that aspect of life. One of the one of the biggest questions I think um, I've ever run into in this lifetime is how much do you try and control versus how much do you just allow to happen? And in that kind of balance, we find I think a lot of a lot of the best philosophies and and humans that have lived have been trying to solve some form of that question yeah you know whether by grace of god or the Tao or just your own bumbling intuition everything unfolds as it will and you can either fight it or you can go with it but going to either of those poles um doesn't always end in the right or in a good feeling spot right so how are you navigating that day by day are there yeah, are I, you like engaged in like a process of decision making is there like a way that you're tuning into yourself are there like what are, what's your way that's a really great really great question and i don't know that i could put it into words necessarily i think there is just this center in each of us that when we're in our fullest form we're kind of rolling out of that center uh joseph campbell talks about following your bliss you know, there's something in you that wakes up when you open a door and you see something in there that you really like. 
And I think it's just that process of identifying those um, unfoldings that you're really drawn to versus the ones that you have that intuition. Like that's not the right path. That's not the right person. That's not the right project. And so, yeah, I just, I stick to where it's fun and where I feel like I'm, I'm the, I'm the person that I like being. So that's the other thing. I mean, we're not in isolation. There's other people with us in this world and some of them bring out sides of us that we really enjoy being and others don't. And so just kind of, um, making time for the one and, um, you know, kind of <laughs> maybe shielding yourselves from the other, I think is another, um, way to navigate that. Cause right now, I mean, the people that I'm working with every day, I get up, I get on the phone with them and I'm just laughing and I'm having a great time. And it, and to me, that's the clearest indication that I'm doing the right thing. Cause at that point, it doesn't matter the money. It doesn't matter, you know, the, the clicks on YouTube or any of that. Like I'm having a great day because of what I'm doing. And those to me are the, the most clear, uh, <laughs> inscrutable pieces of evidence that you're, you're on your path. Yeah. Yeah. When we know how it feels to resonate on a high frequency and, um, maybe not everybody has had as much time doing it or has had the, uh, like the direction or the insight from wherever to tune into that and then follow that you know, that bliss that Joseph Campbell's talking about. It's like when you're in your blissful state, then you're just like, like there's no hesitation. Ideas flow. You feel safe. You feel good. You feel like, you know, you can take on the world. Um, then there's, uh, there's the writer Ryan Holiday. He wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way, mm, yeah. um, which is kind of like the opposite way, which is interesting. It's like whatever you're running into is going to be the obstacle that then to overcome that obstacle, it's going to turn you into the person, like a greater human being, because you will have, you know, overcame mm. that thing in your way. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And actually, that's a line of thought that I've had quite a few times this year. Um, another friend of mine was introducing me to this concept of the anti-fragile, which is something that actually gets stronger from um, stress and impact. And, and, I, and I like that. I like that concept of, you know, seeking discomfort and seeking your, your edge. And I think the two actually go hand in hand, because while I'm talking about this, uh, you know, these cues that you're, you're in a place that is good for you based on the, you know, the, the experience that you're actually having, I think, and I can speak from experience here recently, like, I, I feel like I've been able to get to that point because of the obstacles and because of, you know, in, in some senses, you know, choosing different people um, to either engage with or not. And so, you know, on the one hand, I feel like there's this real tendency in our culture, and I know I feel it, that we're on this constant path of self-improvement and that somehow we're not complete and we need to, you know, <laughs> seek discomfort or learn how to breathe or do yoga. Or there's always this piece that we're missing. And I think that some of that mindset of, um, you know, the obstacle is the way is this idea that that life requires hardship. Like we, we really, I think from our schooling and 
just the way the culture is set up, we, we put a high value on people suffering. And you can see this a lot in working relationships. Uh, people suffer competitively all the time where it's almost a bad look. If you had a great weekend and you can go into work and be like, yeah, it was great. I did nothing. You know, people are always saying, oh man, I'm so busy right now. Oh yeah. You know, I got to do this and that. And like, you know, we, we kind of, we, we exchange in this currency of struggle because we, we measure to some extent, like the value of a person based on how hard they work. And so I, I just say in this moment, like I agree with finding your edges and getting outside of your comfort zone. Cause that's where I think those opportunities to really find your flow exist. You know, if you're always just insulated and safe and comfy and you never leave the couch, you're, you're probably not going to get into those flow states that we're talking about. Uh, but on the same hand, you know, I don't think it's like I need to wake up today and I need to go look what's the hardest obstacle in my way and go beat my head against it. Because <laughs> that's, you know, kind of falling into the same trap with a different, different label. Right. Uh, there's another book uh, that I listened to recently, Michael Pollan's new book. Mm, uh, yes. Uh, this is your mind on plants and there's a whole section on caffeine and it's like the comprehensive history of how coffee and tea has overtaken the entire world and uh, and he really weaves it in with uh, cultural elements and I like as you're saying that I can't help but think that like uh, the caffeinated American worker and mm -hmm. you know this goes on globally um, but the caffeinated worker is the one that like grinds the hardest and like works, you know, 15 hour days and does it six days a week. And on the seventh day, they only do a 10 hour day. And like, you know, <laughs> because like they're on drugs that yeah. help like keep you alert and focused. But, um, but the opposite end of that, like you can only like burn the overdrive for so long. And then there's going to be burnt out. The engine's going to overheat and fall apart and explode. And, um, and then it really, I think, pushes people to the point of asking, like, what's the point of all this? Like, especially in a, you know, when, when someone's working a job for somebody else or for a company that's, that they're not going to reap the benefits of the long term, like, what are they, what are they really getting out of it? I feel like you're, uh, you're really asking a lot of these questions of yourself. Um, can you go into the artist identity concept that you sent me? You So you did some notes leading up to this. Our, we were going to interview a couple weeks ago and you sent this one all about the artist's identity. That's so cool. You've got things like it's basically like a brainstorm sheet. It's got the ego off of it, making time. You got art versus business. Um, cf nfts um my projects and mm. i do these things all the time and i'm love to hear your thoughts on it yeah well man you just laid out a whole bunch of really interesting uh threads there with that last topic i hope we get to segue back into that that talk about the substances that we use our patterns of behavior and the the intention behind that um so I'll talk about that just for a second, because some thoughts came up as you were speaking, and then uh, happy to go into this kind of identity piece. But it's so interesting to me in that last line of thinking, so many people, myself included, at, you know, for long stretches of my life, we, we work our asses off in service of this future we're trying to get to. 
and the people that we're trying to provide for. And I've met a lot of these people recently, especially in this kind of, um, you know, uh, crypto trading space where everyone's just trying to retire earlier because they're so burnt out from working so hard. And it is interesting to me that, like you said, if you go down that path and you work that hard, by the time you get to the success or the, the you know, payment that you are working for, you, you can find yourself in a really wrecked state, just emotionally, physically. Um, so it's a, it's a slippery slope and, and we are really fueled by this uh, yin yang of substances in our culture where we have the uppers and downers and we're just constantly like forcing ourselves either to be super up and productive or just super down unthinking so we don't have to deal with the emotions and the, the deeper questions so you know between alcohol and caffeine we have a whole recipe for the culture that we currently are in um that said and and getting into the next topic um, well we can we can keep yeah. going on that because that's super interesting i mean like we can come back to the artist identity thing whenever we want either or I mean, they're both. Like, Let's stick with this. I mean, cool. like yeah. in the in the pollen book, he lays out, you know, like how coffee goes everywhere, tea goes everywhere. It really becomes a big thing in England. Coffee houses are are created, and then, no coincidence, uh, the Age of Enlightenment, all these like scientific mm -hmm. uh, explosions, art explodes in all these different ways. People are able to stay up later. They're able to work longer, stay focused longer um electricity is invented you can like work through the middle of the night so then like you know like and then the industrial revolution happens people are like pushed to their limits of how long they can work there be you know they used to have beer breaks for workers now they have coffee breaks the coffee break was invented in like 1950 um people are just like drinking coffee left and right and at that point it was like really shitty coffee it was like coffee at cafe robusta is the type of coffee there's two kinds um, and it was, that's just like the really shitty burnt tasting. And then like um, Pete's coffee starts and they go like higher end coffee and then Starbucks gets created. And the eighties, you know, like the eighties were just this like, go, go, go. Like, let's just like create and do stuff. And then the nineties kind of like burnt out. It was like the end of that wave. And now I feel like people are seeing what happened to those people that pushed it so hard in those time periods. And now they've got all these health problems they've got heart issues they've got all this shit and like like you said like the payout when they finally get to that they can't even appreciate it because they're like half dead from this and they're on these pills and all these things and it's like this whole like twist into this like state of shittiness and like mm. they're getting like people are just getting used by the system yeah i want to see a surgeon's general warning sticker on some of these like, you know, energy drinks that exactly what you just said, caution, this is a radical twist into what did you say? Chronic shittiness or whatever it was <laughs> like, like people should be warned. But I mean, the, the thing that's interesting to me is that we just in the same way that you are what you're doing, things don't really have this kind of um, rigid labeling we are as much a product and our psychology and um, our consciousness is as much a product of what we're doing and what we're eating and what we're consuming as anything else. And there's a great book. It's one of the first books that I read when I was kind of a young adult, really coming into this sort of questing uh, stage of my life. But Terrence McKenna's book, Food of the Gods, uh, lays this out really clearly where he talks about 
you know, you take a mushroom, you change your sight, your, your consciousness, you eat a hamburger, you change your consciousness. And if you don't eat, you know, you get hangry, you're changing your consciousness. So in a sense, you can't separate the caffeine from the, the workforce, like the two go together and the, the patterns that they create and the, the, the product in our culture is really a marriage of those substances in the, the human environment. So I personally am very uh, discriminating about what substances I do engage with because I've, uh, I don't know, I think I've come to appreciate how different my, my day and my outlook is, you know, based on whether I drink two cups of coffee or maybe don't drink so much caffeine, but, you know, maybe... <laughs> indulge in a different substance or none at all. Uh, I think that that is one of these opportunities we have to, again, in that, in that same way of, you know, how much do you let go of and how much do you control? We do have agency over our body and what we put into it. And we can greatly color our experience and our, and our, um, just our mood and our outlook, uh, just by, being a little bit more discriminating and saying no to, to certain things. Um, you know, alcohol, it's a huge one. I mean, I love beer. I love go going out and getting a drink with friends, but like that substance in particular is one of those ones that just, if you invite it into your life in a way where it becomes part of your consciousness, that consciousness has some real downsides to it. Um, and it, at least for me, like it, it is not the, the place that I like to operate. It's not where the creativity happens. It's not where the, um, you know, those <laughs> kind of uh, bliss centers uh, awaken. I think it's, it's, uh, it's the opposite. So. Well, and I've done a lot of experimenting with making art on different substances we could call them or different like interactions from the outside world everything from meditating beforehand to alcohol to cannabis to psychedelics and they're all they all have different like interactions i operate differently i think differently i act differently i am different and um, and there's also kind of a sweet spot so like there's a balance like i would say I mean, as you're, as you're naming different things, different like substances, different effects on our body, um, you know, the idea, like initially the idea of like good and then bad comes in, but that's not really looking at it in the dynamic way that like the world really is like, really it's like everything just is and certain things are good for these situations and certain things are good for those. And, and the balance that a human has with a particular outside element, I think is like a major component to whether or not it has a quote unquote good effect on them or a bad effect on them. And every, every human being is so different. Um, yeah, I mean, like the, I, I'd say that the balance is just like a major element. And I've been playing with that in my life recently. Um, I, so like as an entrepreneur, artist I get to create my own life and one thing and every I'm just like in this constant evolution of like playing with pulling different levers and figuring out what's going to work best and recently I had I took a weekend that I had I've been playing with how many days off I take a week I used to do one day off 
um, for the last like year and a half. And I was getting burnt out and I was feeling like I didn't have enough time with Haley, with Nova, with like, just like relaxing with myself just to like have that downtime. And now I'm taking two days off and it's awesome. And I feel like there's like great ideas that are happening in those days off. But a couple of weeks ago, I started thinking, I was like really just focusing on my health and well-being um, during those days off. And I was like, all right, well, what, what's like a perfect balance look like for me? And when I was doing the six days on, I was sliding into these habits of like drinking coffee every day. Uh, and sometimes I'd have it two times a day. And then, uh, but then I'd get all kind of jittery. And then, so then maybe I would have a hit of weed to like kind of like balance it out and I'm an artist and I'm like self-employed I can kind of just do my own thing so like doesn't like everything as long as I'm like not off the rails like everything's fine but over time I was feeling more and more exhausted and the ups from the caffeine and then the weed combo uh and then I wasn't working out enough and I wasn't making time for that that's an external input that you can do and like and so now, but I don't like the idea of abstinence of like most things. And so um, I have this like no caffeine, no cannabis, um, you know, like go light on alcohol, increase. Uh, oh, but then I have like a cheat day every couple of weeks. I'm like, sure, I feel like indulging here, like you said, you know, and that that feels like it's a nice balance for me. So I can be like on when I'm on and then I can relax and just like enjoy things when I'm off because there's a time and place for that. And, and then like increasing the working out all of a sudden, like less caffeine, more working out. I feel on fire right now. Like my energy levels are just like really high sustained throughout the day. I've been doing like 10 to 12 hours a day on these days that I'm on. It's been awesome. Yeah. I love everything you just said and going all the way back to the beginning I agree hundred percent that, um, and this is something that came to me kind of more recently because we've been given in, in our common thinking that there are like good things and bad things. And especially when it comes to substances or drugs, you know, good drugs or bad drugs and seeing each of them as an opportunity to change your consciousness in some way, they all, you know, more or less fit for different people at different times. And so it's more the chronic use that if you identify you're in a pattern and it's not, um, you know, you're, you're, yeah, days and weeks are just slipping by and you don't feel good. You're not uh, creating what you want to be creating. It is just interesting to see how um, we are, you know, in a sense, also a product of those uh, substances that are, that are going through us. So yeah, I, I will definitely go out with friends and, you know, drink and I will smoke weed when I'm, you know, up hiking or I don't know that like there's different times and places where that fits, but I have just come to appreciate how, um, there's this, this baseline and balance that you can, uh, appreciate more and more when you do kind of keep a clear, um, a clear pool. And then when you drop one of those different kind of colors in, uh, you can really, you know, flavor your perception or flavor your day based on maybe what you're trying to get to. Um, but, you know, for me personally, smoking weed every day is not the answer to that, that, you know, kind of clouds, clouds things. And then I don't really have the ability then to um, play with some other states of mind because I'm just in one, 
Um, yeah, I know that one of the things that uh, we were interested to talk about together is this uh, really amazing frontier of uh, psychedelics and uh, how those substances can play into a lot of the questions that we've been talking about. I mean, I, I won't I won't hide from the fact that a lot of the biggest realizations I think I've had personally as a human being on this planet uh, came from moments where I uh, was either you know, far enough outside of the normal cultural boundaries to have uh, some new perspectives and experiences, or just, you know, going directly into like a, a mushroom trip or one of these um, kind of, uh, you know, in one sense, it's counterculture, but on the other sense, to me, it's one of the most valuable tools that we have, not just as artists, but as uh, human beings for kind of clearing the slate um, sifting through the concepts in our heads and, and getting rid of a lot of those labels so that we can come back and have new definitions. So um, one of the things I was excited to, to share with you is I saw on um, the cover of Newsweek, I don't know if it's this week or last yeah. week, but they have you know this big front page and they have all of these beautiful dried psilocybin mushrooms. And it says, a new treatment for depression. And I just saw that and I couldn't help but, you know, shake my head and just kind of laugh that, you know, a new treatment for depression, <laughs> like right off the bat, um, specifically mushrooms, we have anthropological evidence of humans using mushrooms for as long as we have evidence of humans. So new is just like, what editor thought that that was even cute? I don't know. And then the idea that it is a treatment for depression on, on one sense, again, we're talking about like these substances and how they can flavor our, um, you know, experience of life. And I think that there's a lot of just chronic frustration and um, skewed worldviews because we've removed from our diet of consciousness, these really useful um, points of view that let us step away from our symbols, that let us take things a little less seriously and so I see that headline, a new treatment for depression, like they said, uh, you know, we had this group and we took water away from them. And then we discovered that water is the new treatment for thirst. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, but it is new to this uh, society and culture um, that we're in because it was made illegal by Nixon and so it's just been this like counterculture, like, you know, highly illegal. I mean, it's still federally illegal, um, but it's like, it's so foreign to everybody and nobody's known about anything. Um, I recommend highly to anybody listening who's interested in like the world of psychedelics in any way to uh, read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Um, Ram Dass's book, Being Ram Dass, has a really deep dive into it all. Um, if you want the like on the ground view of what happened in, in that whole time period of like the 50s, 60s, 70s. But there was worldwide, yeah, uh, interest scientifically into this for like since the 40s with mushrooms and um, LSD. And then it was made illegal in the late 60s. And then now it's having a resurgence and it's, yeah, it's like, 
duh water helps you with your thirst um duh having like a deep dive into your subconscious and your like super conscious is going to help you with some things like depression and anxiety but it's so great that it's being scientifically um approved you know and like really looked at again because these are major issues that have solutions that are right there available to us and talk therapy while it's really good for what it is it's not everything yeah i mean my my concern though is that there has been a rediscovery in the medical field there have been people that have carried the torch um since since prehistory and I think that a lot of the knowledge that's held with those groups of people who have used these either ceremonially or in context outside of clinical settings, that there's actually a lot of wisdom there. Uh, and, and just in general, like, you know, how to be an integrated human. My concern is with headlines like the, um, in the Newsweek one is that our tendency in Western culture with this clinical lens is to try and control um, control everything, control our bodies, control emotions. And so there's a difference to me um, in having one of these sort of punctuated, by which I mean infrequent, um, but kind of, you know, outdoors, uh, you know, or, or wherever it might be, like just having an experience like that, that is more tied into um, the willingness to, to recognize that you don't know is very different than going to a doctor and they say, oh, we have a new treatment for you. I'm going to prescribe you five milligrams of, or whatever of psilocybin a day, and you're going to take it with your coffee in the morning and go out and do your job. Um, it's amazing that we have the dialogue open again, but, and especially for this audience, I'm sure most in the, you know, many in the audience, this is all old news anyway. Like these are the, the types of communities that hold this knowledge already. And if anything, there's this whole um, kind of, uh, I don't know, enculturated population that is just being introduced. And that's why I'm actually really eager to have conversations like this one, because I feel like the ones that, that hold this knowledge, that have had these experiences, that have had the positive outcomes, it's almost a race to get, um, you know, to get that information out ahead of these bastardized medicinal um, kind of expressions of it. And that's not to say that there aren't people in the uh, field who are uh, and have been working really hard to, to bring awareness to these substances and their benefits and uses. Uh, a lot of the people that I've, you know, come to learn these things from are actually people who have been fighting those fights for decades, trying to get, you know, the FDA to approve you know, these very small scale tests. So the next thing, the next, uh, you know, trial can happen. The next trial can happen. So I think that within the overall um, medical field, there's this, uh, you know, group of people that are really moving things forward for the right reasons. But yeah, I, I, I am hopeful that we can see the artists and the poets and the, you know, experienced kind of creatives um, build, build some um, spaces around these uh, substances as they're reintroduced. I mean, another, an, another analog is uh, cannabis. You know, there's, there's been this um, kind of spread of legalized cannabis across the United States and other parts of the world. 
And you can see in some places where you have kind of the, I don't know, the, the counterculture type people, you know, opening up the dispensary and it's all artwork and records and things. And that's very different from, you know, kind of the roll up that I sort of see happening with these kind of bigger dispensaries that are just turning it into something like beer or, or uh, you know, wine and, um, you know, increasing the potency and just, I don't know. It's interesting. It's all um, kind of unfolding. And I'm just glad that these substances collided with me in my life when they did. And that's probably why I'm so sensitive to just being hopeful that those benefits can happen for other people at a wider scale without it kind of falling into the same ruts that a lot of, that I think they're, they're really um, possible of shaking. Oh yeah. They're absolutely possible of shaking it up. And I mean, one thing about psychedelics is I don't think they can really be um, contained in the same way. Cannabis can get you high and then it also can like, relax you make you sleepy it's like helps with pain it's like all these things but you don't address your ego in the same way you don't address your place in the world i mean yeah you maybe do at the beginning of when you start smoking there's like you'll have these experiences but as you go along like the the initial hit isn't the same it's not the same high whereas like psilocybin i mean they're not psilocybin and lsd are not habit forming reason being they're like getting into a rocket ship and flying out into space and coming back like you can't you don't want to do that every day um as beautiful as it is and it can also be scary uh if you don't you know if the set and setting aren't correct then um things can get all things can get weird quick um but it's like they're so impactful and you know scientifically if you look at what's going on in the brain it's like quieting down the part of your brain that's the ego driven center and then like the rest of your brain lights up and more ideas happen and then you feel connection with the world and um you know there's like there's just so much that's happening that it, it i just don't see it being able to be in the same little box that cannabis can be or like alcohol can kind of keep people in a similar box it's like psilocybin itself is sort of like here take this and like break out of the box like try not to break out of the box see what happens like try to stay in your box it's not going to work um you want to jump to the questions part uh sure okay the part one questions we can come back to any of this stuff this this kind of sounds like part two talk yeah, <laughs> well i hate to defy your labels <laughs> i had things neatly labeled and <laughs> this little section isn't fitting into the box correctly and mm. so i'm feeling anxiety <laughs> <laughs> there's a pill for that oh there is eat this <laughs> um <laughs> all right part one question one is um and you've already mentioned this whole thing and I kind of want you to, well, you could take it any way you want. What was your breakthrough moment? Now you could take it towards uh, the creation of community funded, or you could take it towards, I mean, where I'd kind of like you to take it if it works is to take it towards um, the blowing up on YouTube 
and like the moment that it happened how it worked like what that was like for you I mean that when you told me you mean like a like a professional breakthrough or like a creative breakthrough kind either way either way um I'd say the more interesting breakthroughs are um you know or this could be a breakthrough into like you really like settling into a newer version of yourself you know maybe through one of these experiences yeah Um, I'm probably the worst guest you'll ever have because I I can't help but like wiggle my way around all of the the things you're trying to get me to do that's great yeah I mean when I hear that question like I it's hard for me to not do this weird storytelling where we look backwards and kind of try and call out these big moments in our life and say, oh, that was the place, that was the turning point. And when we do that, I think we're missing out on how everything, even the smallest, smallest things were just as essential to us being here now. So when I, when I hear that question, it's, it's a lot less um, meaningful for me to, you know, point to I don't know, these, these bigger moments where, you know, uh, and there's so many, I think in each of our lives, there's these moments that really stand out. It's like those flashbulb memories. Like I remember the day that my co-founder at Community Funded, you know, shared the idea with me and that's, that kicked off, you know, 10 years of uh, work and building and all of these stories. But, you know, that moment was on the end of, you know, five years of uh, hanging out with this person and doing psychedelics out in the woods and getting to know them and, you know, sharing a philosophy that then led into that. So, I mean, I think that those breakthroughs, I mean, if, if you even break down that, um, that word, you know, breaking through, what are you breaking through? It is a, it is a breaking through of the concept. So if you're, if you're sitting and you have this concept of you here today, And then something radical comes in and changes. And now you've got new uh, opportunities or new definitions. Like that's what you're breaking through. And for me, the biggest ones have been where I've understood that. Um, When I was younger, I was, you know, endlessly uh, restless, just always doing stuff, always, you know, creating. I just thought I was the smartest little cookie on the planet. And I had this great future, you know, lined up for me. And it was some of those early experiences uh, with cannabis and then later with psychedelics and, and even just confronting my own, you know, shortcomings and, and demons, you know, those experiences is when I kind of realized like, wow, this story that I'm telling myself about my life and my purpose and, you know, this journey that I'm on, like that really doesn't hold a candle to just the, the absolute jaw dropping mystery of, you know, staring at a leaf and really thinking about what the hell is going on here. How am I a part of this? So, yeah, I mean, all of these moments, I think, collectively bring us to the present moment. And that concept in and of itself is sort of the, you know, that breakthrough to me that you, you can't, uh, or it's foolish, I think, to, to go back and say, you know, th- this was a series of choices and these other uh, alternatives are out there somewhere that I, you know, I, I chose this and I could have had that. Um, I just... I like to see things as being an unfolding of the same process that has, has driven everything everywhere forever. And those moments that I've really understood that deeply, not in words, but just in present experience are the kind of breakthroughs that I think are, are worth, um, yeah, dwelling on. 
Because I'll tell you, you know, having a, a viral video on YouTube, that's not a breakthrough. If anything, that's just the, the construction of even more concepts that you, that you then have to pick up and sort through and figure out, like, am I a YouTuber now? Am I, you know, what do I owe this audience? What do they want from me? You know, it's a whole, you know, be careful the, the breakthroughs that you wish for. <laughs> um, yeah. So see, I told you, I'm going to answer your question in very, very <laughs> difficult ways. Oh, I love that. This is great. <laughs> I feel like what I'm doing is I'm like throwing a pitch at you and then you're catching it and you're throwing it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> we're like what kind of game are we even playing here it's great <laughs> i love it i say continue on your merry way sir let's keep this up okay next question is uh tell me about a favorite flow state moment that you have experienced in your life yeah and i love this concept of flow it's something that um i think it's come up a lot lately in um in business and education and other places where people are trying to find ways to enter into these flow states um as if it's like a tool or a a, a state of working that's like advantageous and what i find is that when i am in flow which is actually quite often i think uh, there's there's a number of activities where I can get into that flow state um, pretty readily. the The thing that I'm left with, you know, when it's all over, is you know, it, it's very um, Zen like. You know, when I when I when I read about Zen or I try and understand what this concept is of, you know, being so present in the moment that you're not really thinking, you're just like unfolding. And, you know, words and actions and everything just come as quick as the impulse that, that made them come out. Like that's sort of how I imagine, you know, like just a, a really high um, Buddhist monk or someone who's just constantly in flow. Like you can't get them off guard. You can't, you know, catch them in a, in a moment of self-doubt because it's just that constant unfolding. Um, you know, those, those moments are really interesting. It's also, it's also interesting how they just... Um, they do like gobble up time. And so an example recently, like I, I, on Friday, it was a beautiful day and I was going to pick up my kids and I decided to myself that no kids I know should be sitting in at, at after school program. So I picked up my kids and the neighbor's kids, drove them up to the river. And we just spent like three hours on the banks of the river, just like playing, you know, the girls were like covering themselves in mud and swimming. And the boys were like finding sticks and like building a raft and I was just hanging out with the dog and, you know, just, and it was just a pure state of flow, you know, everything that was happening, you know, there was no question. It was just, you know, this, this kind of uh, flowing moment. And when you are in those moments, you, you kind of get that sense, at least I do. Like I was just mentioning, you know, because I'm here and this is happening and it's just so right. It's just so a product of everything I've ever done. Like those are moments where I, I feel really at peace with that, that history that's kind of following me like a tale of which there's a lot of good and bad and these kind of judgments about them. I think when I'm in a flow state, it is that, um, yeah, that recognition that everything that had, that had to happen before is, is what brought me up to the present moment. 
but then also just, you know, kind of what I was leading in with is it gobbles up time. Like it's amazing how quickly those flow states, like when you're in it, time isn't even really a component. So before you know it, you're back to your, your, your normal state of being. And yeah, I mean, when they, they say time flies when you're having fun. I think time flies when you're having flow. And I think if you were in flow state your whole life, like you would just be dead <laughs> before you knew it. There'd be no punctuation. It's just like, it, it just, it unfolds so quickly. So I kind of, I value that there's like moments of flow where I can kind of get that, that punctuation and be like, ah, okay, you know, I'm doing everything right. This, this is such a magic special moment and unfolding, but then, you know, kind of slowing things down and getting back entangled and uh, into the concepts and stuff. I kind of appreciate that cycle. <laughs> cool. It's like the, it's like the breath. Like you mm. can't, you can't exhale for your whole life. You have to inhale also. And so like flow is these are these like states of enlightenment. And so you're like exhaling and then you got to come back and you got to chop wood and carry water and, you know, do your taxes and whatever. And then you get to blast off again. <laughs> And that's life is this like continuous like sequence of flow and not flow or, or anti-flow or whatever you could call it. Um, right. Great. Okay, great. You, you knocked that one out of the park. You hit it over the fence there. Oh, cool. So I yeah, you answered a question. Deal yes. with that. <laughs> Gold star. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, next question is what is your advice to aspiring creatives? Hmm. Well, I think everyone is creative, no aspiring required. <laughs> and I think that, you know, having been, I don't know, I, I think I, I grew up um, kind of being told that there was a time and a place for certain types of creativity. And I think I've rejected all that. And I kind of see my entire life as just an opportunity to tell jokes, make things, break things. And I think if you do that enough, you just, you find yourself in places where that is welcome. <laughs> you'll push away all the people that don't like it. But um, yeah, I, I think anyone who's creative, again, these labels, man, I, I just, I have an issue with, if you are creative and you start calling yourself an artist and now you got to match that mold of an artist, like you're probably going to be disappointed a lot. Because what is an artist? Someone who gets, you know, who gets to paint or someone who gets paid to do X, Y, or Z. I think if you're, if you enjoy creating and you get into those flow states creating and you feel that bliss creating, then just keep doing it. doesn't matter what it is. And eventually it will fit into the fabric of your life in a way that, that is organic and natural because it's just an output of your, your existence. And I have a daughter um, who's six right now, and she is just the absolute epitome of like uninhibited, constant flow, always creating. I mean, she just, she makes these things and brings them to you and it just like blows your mind. And so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I think Kayla and I both, you know, we're, we're very encouraging of like, just keep going. Like it doesn't, I don't think it has to be for any end goal. And even having, I mean, she's amazing at this. Like she can create something that's just like a masterpiece of six-year-old creation and then just, you know, throw it away. Don't even care about it. On to the next thing. And so like not getting too hung up on, you know, 
what she's a zen master of, yeah she's a zen master you know like and i and, I, and this is a problem that i've dealt with you know i get i get too hung up on like what type of you know, art I like to do. And the, you know, I always have in my head and in my sketchbook, like these big pieces that I want to be working on. And like, I've always measured myself against the things I haven't done versus the things that I have done. And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard. And we could talk about this too, because I, I think I do have some insight on actually making money while being highly creative. But I think if you're an aspiring creative, like bullshit, you are creative, get out there, you know, do turn trash cans upside down and turn them into drums. And you'll find the people that like that beat. And before you know it, you'll be doing things that you never could have imagined. Um, yeah. Nice. All right. Great. Boom. Home run number two. Uh, final question for part one is what's your definition of art? <laughs> art is artifice. No, um, man. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think that everything is art. I think that there's no way to separate the art that makes it to the canvas from the artist in his life or her life. I don't think that you can look at a, a sculpture and say that that is somehow standing apart from the environment where it's placed. I think that everything that's unfolding in this universe under what, what energy or, or power that drives it, this is what it does. It, 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 takes, it takes things that were there before and turns them into something new and then tears them apart and then does it again. And so I think that there's a way, in a way we can look around and see everything in that, um, in that lens. And then I think that also frees us from the definition of saying, you know, this piece of art or that piece of art is or isn't art. I think that as a, as a human organism, you know, our canvas is a lot bigger than we might realize. And all of these little dances we do and little curly cues that we're, you know, in our, in our lives uh, putting out there is sort of that, that big expression. Oop. My camera went off, but can you still hear me? Yep. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Again, uh, slipping the noose of definition, but art is what you decide it is. And because of that, anything can be art. And for me, I will I will decide that everything is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yep. I mean, it's cool how thinking about that, like thinking about the sculpture in the space and then the whole space is art. And then I'm imagining people coming into the space and appreciating it or hating it or having like a million different ideas about it. Like that's also the art. And um you know as as the creative which everybody is you can choose to like assert your project on whatever level and whatever scale you can you know you can think of the art as the the sculpture but you could also think of the art as the whole thing and really engage with it on whatever level and as the artist you can you can you know pick people's brains about stuff you can and, and that's like this podcast is like an expression of 
my art. It's not a painting that I'm doing. It's it's like the philosophical dimension. Of yeah. How, how can art. you separate this podcast from the art you create? Yeah. I mean, the people that you meet, the ideas that you now have, that all goes into your art. So. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for it. I've always been really envious of video and then, uh, and like music, poetry, because you can use words and it can be so much more literal. And I've only played really on the um, like more abstract level of imagery. Um, not that I couldn't dive into video or I couldn't do those things, but I, I haven't and I've stuck more on this element. But um, the podcast is a spot where we can like really use words and you can get really into all sorts of different layers of abstraction. It's great. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, Ryan, this is awesome. Uh, part one, we can consider it in the books. We've done a really good job here. Um, you have uh, knocked some home runs out and you've also caught the ball and thrown it the other way many times. And, and I love that. It's like, it's like, no, 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 fuck these questions. These questions, I'm, I'm not subscribing to these labels <laughs> and it's great. Um, and I just wanted to uh, say thank you for coming on the podcast. And also I want to acknowledge you for being so authentically you. And I feel like the listeners have gotten to hear it and the way that you live your life and you think about things. And uh, I was having this vision of you as a ninja uh, hmm. getting attacked by, you know, a, an opposing squad of ninjas that are all like the label ninjas and the, the box ninjas. And they're trying to like capture you and throw you in the box and put labels all over you. And you're just doing your like jujitsu, <laughs> like fighting it off and being like, no way, I don't think so. And um you know, and that's, that's really like who you are and the way that you live your life. And I feel like we can all really take a lot from that. And uh, it's inspiring to me. And that's one reason why I really wanted to have you on the show um, was because that's what you've done. Uh, and, and you had a podcast interview that I want to get into in, in part two, um, where you really just sort of like blocked what was expected of people. And then you went a different direction. And and that's just kind of how you live your life. And it's, you know, it's got its um, advantages and its challenges and that's life. And, but you're, you're doing it and you're walking that way. And so um, big cheers to you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And remember, whenever you hear someone like me talking or someone who like um, assumes to, to know something, I don't know. I feel that the people who speak say the things they most need to hear. Yeah. So whatever resonates, like you need to key into that. No, I think that like when I'm speaking, I'm speaking more or to, to you convince, to convince myself than anyone. Right. And I've recognized that with different philosophers or just, you know, people who have interesting perspectives that, um, yeah, oftentimes they're saying that the lessons that they most need to learn. Yeah. And so then as a listener, you want to be aware of that fact and then, yeah, because I'm going to take things with a grain of salt. Get off on, when I get off this call, I'm going to go back to just screwing up my own life and <laughs> having all these doubts and trying to navigate, you know, all the unfoldings with the same, you know, fears and frustrations as anyone else. Oh. And it's only when someone puts a microphone in front of you and asks you directly, what do you think about this? That you're like, wait, okay, this is what I think. 
Are you listening, self? <laughs> Get out there and do it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, okay, now where can all of my followers that are not 180,000, where can yeah. they connect with uh, you online? Yeah, um, I'm, I, I like my website, uncomplication.com. Uh, I haven't updated it in a while, but it's got a lot of my art and articles and you can find my podcast there. And that to me is my favorite outlet is the podcast because I enjoy tracking down interesting people and uh, also just flipping on my voice recorder and you know capturing whatever crazy thought might be flowing. So that I think is the most meaningful place to engage with some of the stuff I put out in the world. And then if you want to go on this um, kind of crazy YouTube journey with me, uh, Uncomplication on YouTube is where I now am trying to uh, bait and switch this huge audience that came in for crypto and are now getting all this kind of mumbo jumbo nonsense and <laughs> heartfelt appeals to get away from your computer and go do something actually meaningful. <laughs> so, and then I'm at uncomplication on Twitter, but I don't use the Twitters very much. I'm pretty bad with the whole social media thing. So yeah. Uncomplication cool. podcast, website, YouTube. Great. Sounds good. All right. Well, this is the end of part one. Um, can you leave the humans with uh, one last bit of it of wisdom? Wisdom. Oh, man. Yeah. And it can be about anything. Just give us like some really good deep wisdom. I think the deepest wisdom is recognizing that nobody has all the answers. There's no philosophy there's no school of thought there's no drug you can take there's no shortcut and that you are right where you belong doing exactly what you are doing and so hooray nice that's great hell yeah we'll be right back again this podcast is brought to you by high ground coffee an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee, wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea. You just drop a packet in hot water and you go. It's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome. Use coupon code TAYLOR at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. And we are back. We are back. Um, we're ready to rock. Ryan's doing a little dance. Um, you seem you seem stoked. How are you feeling at this point, Ryan? Stoked. That's what I'm fucking talking about. <laughs> Welcome to part two. Part two is where things are a little bit more relaxed. You know, mm. you know, like the B sides of an album. It's that yeah, kind of vibe. It's the back nine. You know, the mm -hmm. first first nine. You're all tight don't quite know how to swing yet now we, we know each other we know the course it's all loosey-goosey yeah really settle in yeah yeah back nine it's nice um okay so i just explained to you off air how this works the questions and the concepts game that we're going to play um so we've got i've got three questions lined up and then three concepts and whichever direction you choose you'll get to choose one to go with and then that'll be the jump off point for the rest of the whole thing so 
Ryan, would you like a question or a concept? Always a good question. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. Your three questions, which you're going to be able to choose one from, are what's the secret to a good life? Question two is what does five years from now look like for you, assuming that everything goes perfectly or positively in your direction? And then the third one is, who's your favorite iconic person of all time? And this can be iconic in any field of study or any whatever from wherever. Hmm. So we got secret to a good life, five years from now, and then iconic person. Wow. That's, those are, uh, yeah. Each of those has their own bag of associations. You know, I, I think we, we talked a lot on the front nine about this sort of individual journey and yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with question number three, just to plant seeds of conversation. And I don't know that this person is necessarily iconic, although they might have become that more recently. Um, but my person that I would like to put on the stage of conversation is Alan Watts who is an individual that in the time and place in my life where I first discovered his books and then later went on a huge uh, scavenger hunt to collect like every recorded uh, piece of content that I could find that he ever did. Um, that, was, that was one of the, the moments where I kind of felt that I was less crazy than I thought I was. And that indeed there were a lot of people who had been asking the same types of questions uh, in our culture and going back as early as there are humans. So Alan Watts is now um, fairly well known because a lot of people have grabbed those same recordings and done YouTube videos. And uh, I think there's, there's probably hundreds of thousands of, of Alan Watts videos on YouTube at this point, which is great because I think he is in my mind, one of the few people that can treat the biggest concepts with humor and levity and never taking anything really seriously. And that approach is one that I um, already believed in. And then um, to hear his wisdom through this playful kind of presentation I think is the spirit of what philosophy and art and living um, is, is best expressed by. Yeah. Yeah. He's such a bridge um, between the East and the West. He was one of the first people to really like dive in comprehensively and then try to translate and then share the concept of Zen um, to the West. It seems like. And it's so funny how he's just been uh, like people have just gravitated around him and his teachings and his words because and he's got such a cool voice. And I think uh, some of it goes, you know, how Americans have obsessions with accents and we sort of like I've heard studies that people Americans will think that someone is like smarter or dumber or whatever. Like there's like these different like normal associations. So and we think British people are smart. And so then with his accent and then saying the things he says, like it just sounds great. And there's so many like 
uh, I, I like to listen to a lot of different like different kinds of music and there's a lot of beats and like funky things with Alan Watts on them totally like, yeah so many like they don't really do that with other people as much like every other song that you hear that has like some you know philosophical thing on top of it it's Alan Watts and it's great. It adds like such a nice um, philosophical twist to like an audio landscape. Yeah. Um, if you're in, if your listeners are interested, I have my uh, collection of Alan Watts recordings posted on just like a folder that you can't really link to unless you have the link for it. But you can go to thinair.com/wisdom, and I have all of my uh, recordings there. And that's T-H-I-N-A-Y-R dot com slash wisdom. But yeah, when I first started reading his books, I was a big fan of Joseph Campbell and um, Terrence McKenna and a lot of other authors. And I don't even remember the first book of Alan's that I read. But when I did, I was like, oh, man, this is for me because here he is digging into, you know, the deepest darkest you know corners of psychology and religion and philosophy and then just treating everything as equal everything playfully and it's really a kind of at least for me it was a liberation from that mindset that i talked about earlier that you know there was a correct religion or a correct you know philosophy or like one was better than the other i think he's able to treat these concepts in a way that you you walk away feeling like you already knew it. You know, it's like, he just told me things that I already know in a way that I don't have to do anything differently. I don't have to prescribe or become a Buddhist and like, you know, undertake these or, you know, accept these precepts or go, you know, meditate on a mountain. It's just like that message that everything is, is okay. Just as it is, I think is one of the things that I've discovered in psychedelic experiences and I think that's what a lot of the perennial philosophies have always been trying to teach us. And I think Alan Watts is uniquely capable and his accent probably does have a lot to do with it. You just believe him uh, at communicating those concepts in, in language that actually gets through, gets through. But, it's, but it's stuff that, you know, uh, because it's, it's like a universal truth. Like these are essential things that when he says them they just ring true because like in the deepest sense of the word like you they're so they just are uh and they're things that you know like in different religions and different perspectives and different cultural um, formations uh people come up with these rules and laws and ways of living and ways of looking at things that are convoluted and or they're abstractions of an essential truth but they're like twisted to you know make these people do you know come out on top or set the set up the power dynamic this way or whatever and this just like levels all of it and you know and the and it's the power dynamic of the interior mind too of like the ego and the soul and um so it's not just like out what's out there it's like essential truths of what's in here yeah and i think like you said being that bridge between the far east and western culture 
one of the things that he says, and I agree with, is that if you don't have anything to compare against, you can't see things clearly. You need that contrast. And so the real value of looking at Eastern thought is not to say that it's better or they have deeper wisdom, but you can't really understand how your mind operates or the way that we've been enculturated unless you see another culture that is, that is thinking completely differently. And then you can start to actually evaluate your own uh, kind of hidden assumptions and so it's not, at least for me, it's not so much like, oh, I really like Zen. I'm, I'm a Zen Buddhist now. It's just like, it gives you that mirror that lets you see how different it is to be living in a Western world where whether we're scientific or atheist or whatever, we still have in us these ideas of constructs that the world was created, that it's a mechanism, that it you know has parts that come together and that we're creatures that somehow exist within this big grand machinery versus a uh, Eastern perspective that everything is unfolding through some, some natural way that we all grow, that everything is organic and self-forming. And um, it, it's just a different perspective, but it allows you to, in that same way of kind of bucking labels, you know, when you step outside and look at a tree, you know, is it made of wood? You know, it was, was it constructed from some creator's mind out of wood or is it this, you know, crazy expression of evolution and, and yeah, I think even in our own lives, we were talking earlier about what is art and it strikes me that someone like Alan Watts, you know, to me, he's an artist. Um, and actually I coined a term for myself, which I would apply to him as well. But, you know, when I'm kind of jokingly telling people what I do, I'll tell people I'm a philosopher artist. So, <laughs> and he like, truthfully, I mean, he is an artist in his life and words, you know, being his medium of expression and look at how much today is still influenced by the things that he was saying on his ferry boat in the sixties. And, and, and there were so many people that, you know, carried those ideas and then it, it came out in different arts and, and um, you know, creations of things. Even, I think it's funny that, um, Matt Parker and Trey Stone, who went on to make South Park, one of the early things that they did in college was they animated the same little cutout paper things to Alan Watts uh, recorded lectures. And so it's just weird to think about, you know, when he was sitting in a real present moment, space and time, talking to a physical audience, and some woman just happened to have a tape recorder there. And now that tape is digitized, it's on the internet, some new artist is hearing it, having their mind blown, they go create something new, and then it's you know, it's all connected. It's all propagating. And it's, yeah, I think that's a, a neat headspace to be in is when we realize that we're not so much these one, these one constructs, these one, you know, I am an artist, I paint things and I did this painting and that's my art. It's like every interaction you have, every breath you have, every word you've said to someone is now fully entwined in this whole happening and the world would not be exactly what it was without you or what it is without you. So I think that's the art that we're all kind of living. I like that you use the word propagating because uh, another way that you can use that word is for um, like taking plants and like succulents, for example, you can, a lot of times they'll have these little buds that you can then take those buds and 
break them off and then grow new succulents. And so there's like succulent propagation is like a multiplication situation. And uh, so then like propagating art and ideas and culture and all these things, it's, it really is like an organic process of growth. And uh, right now I'm listening to a book uh, by Wayne Dyer on the Tao and he's like just breaking down uh all of it in his own way and it's like it just it is and it's so much bigger it's all of it's all of everything and everything like those are the laws of nature is like organic growth just everything grows and everything's always growing and all, either it's growing or it's dying, but it's this constant like flow of growth of the natural world and the universe. And to like, not think that way, like that's going against, like, that's where like this ease with the situation is going to happen is like when you're not in flow with the Tao, it's wild. Well, well you can't not be yeah because you are the Tao. the Tao is you it's everything totally my favorite treatment of the dowdy jing uh or my favorite treatment of the Tao is from the dowdy jing and there's one copy that i have in particular that is my favorite because aside from a very short introduction where the author actually gives you some translations for the the chinese characters the rest of the book is just like a book of poetry and you're even invited to read, read the Chinese words and kind of see what the English translation is, but then really like try and make your own definitions of those as well. And I find that when you approach the Tao from its kind of original format, like there's so much space between every word that it, it almost tricks you into like stumbling into those realizations without it being like conceptually described. Because I mean, that's the first, the, the opening line of the Tao Te Ching is that the Tao called the Tao is not the Tao. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can sit with that one line your entire life and it will continue to open up to you and open up to you. Especially if you give it the space. I like that. There's like, if you give your consciousness space to consider and acknowledge and think about these things and it's like gonna the Tao will fill in the space on its own. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Um, all right. Well, my mind is completely blown wide open now. Just even like <laughs> giving myself the consciousness space to consider that. Um, so you on your podcast, there was one episode that I listened to that was particularly awesome, and that you interviewed a psychologist. A I think he's a clinical therapist who is working with the uh, FDA approved map or I'm sorry, the maps sponsored uh, FDA clinical trials for using MDMA. So many acronyms in a sentence. They're using ecstasy in therapy, y'all. It's cool. <laughs> that. Yeah. So he's actually, you know, working with government and the whole process, um, in some of these clinical trials that will eventually, I believe, bring things like MDMA and psilocybin to uh, therapist couches across the world. But 
yeah. So I, I just reached out to him because he was a connection, a friend of a friend, and I'm, I'm really interested in this space. And so talking to someone local who had this experience, uh, I was, I was really prepared for anything. And then he totally blew my mind and totally like, yeah. Um, defied my expectations of what we were going to talk about. I was trying to like kind of politely enter the topic with, you know, drugs and this, and he just like, no, let's kick that door down. Let's just let it all out. And I found my, again, my definitions kind of shattered. And I ended the first podcast with him, like scrambling to put together my, like <laughs> my own uh, bearings on what a good drug was or a bad drug was. Cause he was the one who was just like, no, there's no good drugs and bad drugs. There's just, there's just drugs. And there's just, you know, you take this, it does that. Is it good or bad? No, it's just, you know, how you use it, what the, the, the set and setting and the person and like all of these factors, even insofar as he was saying that, you know, he thinks that responsible adults can go and do heroin if that's something that they want to do and that we've demonized the hell out of it. We've made it illegal. We've created this whole, you know, underground kind of uh, system for that. A substance, but that in practice, like it, it can be used by professionals, even the night before they go and give keynote addresses at, you know, big conferences and stuff. So yeah. Uh, anything stand out to you in that podcast that you wanted to maybe talk more deeply about? Well, I mean, all, all of it was cool. Yeah. The, the good and bad thing that really stood out. Um, and it really, it goes back to the thought of balance within someone's life and uh, set and setting, which Terrence McKenna has talked a lot about and is like majorly uh, a big thing to consider um, for everybody. And I guess this, the part that really stood out that I wanted to talk about that. So I've been dabbling with the idea of coming out of the drug closet on this podcast and there's been multiple times with multiple guests where like so psychedelics or different drugs, you know, has come up, but I've always kind of like backed off from like stepping in and saying like, Hey, I have personal experience with this sort of subject. And, um, I guess I've like kind of been keeping it like family friendly or something along those lines, even though I'm okay with swearing on the podcast, I do that occasionally and people do it all the time. Um, but I really liked and respected the way that you went for it. And you, I think you started off the podcast with like a little intro of saying like, hey, everybody, like this is about different drugs. And I'm just going to start by telling you guys that I have done these drugs and I'll do these at this time and that time. And like, um, yeah. And, and again, I I've been sort of hesitant because I'm like, yeah, but what if this happens or this negative thing? I don't know, like kind of been hesitant. And so I guess I want to just have you like talk about your experience of what that was like, like coming out of the drug closet on your own. And then like, you know, was there like, yeah, what was it like? Yeah, great question. And to be honest, I had the benefit of interviewing him first and then doing the intro. So I would not have had that bravery had I not talked to him first. And I, I agreed with him that it is almost a point of responsibility for the people with the experience and the knowledge to normalize things for artists to use for, you know, self uh, therapy, or as uh, Michael Pollan says, for the betterment of well people, 
you know, Newsweek is going to tell us that this is a treatment for depression. I say that's bullshit. I say this is, for me, it has been one of the most rich places in my life to go and have direct experience of being alive. And it wasn't because I was depressed and I needed therapy. It was just, you know, there. And so, you know, in conversation, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost funny for you and I to talk about being in the closet with these things. I have one of your paintings on my wall right over there. And just looking at it, it's like, no one looks at you and is going to be surprised that you've done psychedelics. I mean, look at this beautiful abstract. <laughs> it's know, not front page news that an yeah, artist it's not, yeah. expressed yeah, that they do the drugs. An artist <laughs> the beach of Southern California just admitted, no. So <laughs> one of the things that, I, that I've noticed though, and this has happened more and more, especially as I don't know, with, with cannabis being legalized, it kind of, you know, made just the topic of drugs that much more accessible because it's so funny growing up as a children, uh, as a child of the eighties and nineties, you know, everything was say no to drugs. It was such a no tolerance, like, you know, winners don't do drugs, all of that kind of propaganda, I think had a lasting impression. And so with cannabis, you know, that first sort of domino falling, um, I have found that my, my real interest is beyond cannabis. I mean, I really, I, I really enjoy mushrooms. I really think LSD has a lot of value. There's a lot of these substances that, you know, you have to find the balance. It's not like I, you know, I personally, I don't microdose. I, I really go for kind of the big uh, punctuated experience where I can, you know, set aside the time to, you know, fast beforehand, go out in nature, you know, have a big experience and have some time afterwards to kind of reintegrate it. Like that's just my formula and it works well for me. So um, that's just to say that as things have progressed and these conversations have become more just happening, you know, I'll be at a party and there'll be, you know, an older gentleman who's like, you know, in his sixties and we're kind of small talking and, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I could honestly care less. Cause we're just, you know, oh, would you have nice weather? Yeah. How about the sports? And then, you know, I might bring up like just this little breadcrumb of something about psychedelics and they'll pick up on it. And then it turns out like this is super meaningful for them. They had experiences back in the sixties and they've carried it with them. And like, they have opinion and all of a sudden we're having this really engaging conversation with, you know, someone who, who I probably would have expected to be more conservative or, you know, not interested. And then I leave, you know, that party and I'm like, man, that was some of the best conversation I ever had. Cause it's, you know, it, it, it vibrates, you know, if you've had those experiences, they've been meaningful for you. And then you can start talking openly about them. It's some of the most interesting things to talk about. So that's where, you know, getting back to your question, after talking with um, Dr. Colbert about his just sort of like flagrant kick the door down, like adults use drugs. It's okay, people. I, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to completely own that. I think it's our responsibility to um, be part of the dialogue and not be hiding from it. Because again, like I said, in part one, like my concern is that the culture is going to get there first and they're going to build the same kind of walls around it and the same kind of, you know, prescribed, you know, usage. And if we don't like normalize it that, yeah, you know, I've started multiple businesses. I have a family. I, you know, I'm a responsible taxpaying voting American and motherfucker, I go up in the woods and I dose acid and I love it. Like if I can't say all of those things in the same sentence, I'm lying and I'm not putting my, my true, you know, self in the world. And I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, personal benefit to 
to having some of these experiences. And I think finding the people that have, you know, uh, um, kind of, you know, gone before you, like, I, I really value that I got to, you know, try some of these things the first time with uh, people that I knew and respected who had learned and then kind of showed me. And then I've kind of been a guide for a lot of other people. Like it, there's something very different from just taking something alone with a Newsweek article as your only pretext and then actually going to a, a friend who's an artist's, you know, house and getting to paint or play or go out in the woods or whatever. Like, I, I really believe that the experience belongs integrated in our lives and not in the context of therapy and the clinic and even the couch. Um, so that's why, yeah, you know, after I talked to him, it's, uh, it's something that I, I wear proudly. And if you really if you really take to the full um, extent, you know, who is going to really be upset by this? We were talking earlier about, you know, seeking those obstacles, like good, let them be challenged by this. You know, I, I've talked to my parents about it. I've done psychedelics with my parents as some of the, the best days I've ever had, you know, growing up, that was a huge wall, huge obstacle. So yeah, I mean, who do you think is going to be upset by this? And, you know, if that, if this forces the conversation, maybe it's actually going to force you know, some growth, some honesty, and maybe even some new experiences. Yeah, totally. And as, uh, as we're talking about this, like the thoughts that come to mind are, uh, grandma, I was like, we're, you know, I didn't want to upset grandma. She's no longer with us anymore, but I wish that I would have suggested psilocybin mushrooms to her on her like as she was on her way out because she was experiencing all this anxiety about all these things. And I very much believe that it could have helped her um, just like see the bigger picture and then relax about it. Um, and it's funny. I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast, like there's my little like ego thing that I work through a lot of it. A lot of time is like being a people pleaser. And I think that this, connects with that and I uh you know it's very been like by grandma it was drilled in if you don't have something nice to say don't, don't say anything at all and some people might be offended by it or some people might think this way or that way and I feel like my audience of people who have appreciated me as an artist through time come from very different backgrounds and I've been like worried about offending people whereas really what it's probably gonna what would probably happen what's probably going to happen is that it would just you know enlighten people to the fact that this is a possibility and that you're right like normal people with lives that are quote-unquote successful and doing things you know being like engaging members of society or doing these experiences it'll help knock the door down and show everybody that like hey this isn't a big deal the reason it was made illegal was a political move by Nixon against the counterculture during the Vietnam War. Like that's why these things are schedule one drugs. It's not because they're habit forming because they're not. It's not because of the overall effect on them because if when they're done correctly, it's great. And uh, yeah, so really, and I mean, it was funny because we were going to record two weeks ago, but I had this bid in for a project here in the city of Carlsbad, which is where I live. And it's like, a little bit more conservatively set up than a lot of other places. And um, this project was a really big one. And I, I didn't want to give anyone any reason to say no to me. 
and I thought that it could potentially be spun that way. Um, the project got canceled. And so that gave me the green fucking light here to just talk about it. And now I'm like, I'm really glad about it. And you know, that, that this is happening and that we're talking about it. And yeah, it's just such a, it's funny because you relating to the guy, you know, over psychedelics, I feel like a psychedelic trip is everyone's different. MDMA, which is ecstasy, is a very different experience than LSD, than psilocybin, than ayahuasca, like cannabis. Everything has its own little blend of flavors that happen, but they're all a dip into the other side, into the dream time of sorts. And when you've been there, like like in, and in the dream time, your ego gets quieted down all the things about like who I am, what I am, like, this is my vision of me and blah, blah, blah. That really gets quieted and it's extremely humbling. And I feel like that element of feeling humility um, and just like connectedness with other beings through your heart space, not through your mind and like what you can gain from it. And like, you know, it's like, it's like true, authentic connection like that that spreads out and you know there's like like the cliche thing about oh yeah someone did a a drug trip and then they came back and they said that we're all connected we're all one and love is the answer like that's some alan watts shit where it's like so essential and it's so true that everybody comes to it because that is what it is like um and so yeah, I don't know where to go from here. I'm just kind of rambling at this point. Yeah, no, no, I love it. I love hearing kind of that. I, lo- I love hearing my own story reflected in yours. And we were talking about breakthroughs earlier. And really, real quick, you gave me the courage. Like seeing you do it was really empowering for me. Um, you know, like because I'd been thinking about it, playing around with it, and then Kayla shared that episode with me, and then I heard it, and I was like, hell yeah! And I, my wheels started turning on, like okay, this is possible. How do I do it? And so uh, you were definitely a trendsetter, you know, like one <laughs> well, step in like, front like of I me. Said, man, I mean, all of these things have been here. So there's really no, again, there's no ego in it. Like that, that's, that's the breakthrough. When you, when you have had those moments where you see how this normal view of yourself with all the labels, all the baggage, all the history can just dissolve, just be gone. And you're in a completely different mode of awareness, but you're just as present. Like that changes you. That brings you back into your life, at least for me, all you know, far less concerned about the rigid structure of things because you can see how quickly it all just melts away. And I and I I do feel that that you call it the dream time, you know, just that that potential that our consciousness has, which is so much farther than anything that we could conceive of, like that potential is ingrained in, in all of this. And you, you can't really talk about it, but you can experience it. And once you've experienced it, you know, talking is a little bit less interesting. But but it, uh, I mean, it's the connection piece. It's the connection between us and that's where we can relate. Yeah, but you can just sort of exist together. Like I can just sit here and we can be like LSD and then you and I can like look at each other and, just and we, and we can <laughs> know what that vibration is like, what that frequency is like. And it is different than, than normal. 
life. One thing I do want to say, another, I guess the other thing that I wanted to express to everybody out there in Podland is um, that, and I told this to one of my friends recently who told me about a, a drug experience that he had that sort of went sideways and it went, it wasn't good. And the person he was doing the drugs with, um, it just got really funky and weird. And um, I feel like I really just want to harp or like emphasize the set and setting element of any sort of a psychedelic any sort of any any really any sort of a trip that you're doing even like caffeine or um um anything intention is so set is for mindset and your mindset going into anything it connects with your intention and it's so important because uh people you know there's bad trips that happen and a lot of times I would say it's because the set, the mindset was in a bad place. Maybe someone was, you know, in a bad place in their life and then they do something and then it comes out, you know, and we've seen people get drunk and then, you know, cry and like have these like terrible times. Well, they're having a really hard time in their life. And then when they get drunk, they can't control it anymore. And it comes out. Same thing will happen with LSD and mushrooms. And so like a lot of people are afraid of a bad trip, but if your mindset is in a good place and you have an intention for what you're doing, like, you know, self-growth or connection with a friend or whatever, that's really going to like guide the whole experience in a beautiful way and is going to help mitigate any sort of like bad trip elements. And then the setting is like the physical setting, the, the, you know, philosophical setting that you're doing it in, you know, like, are you in a clinical room? Um, that's like one setting or like, are you at a party doing something? Cause that's a bad idea generally, uh, unless it's like maybe MDMA is a good way to do it with your friends. That's a, that's more of a party drug, but you know, psilocybin and LSD aren't. And so like, if you're in the wrong setting for the appropriate substance, then you could have a really bad experience. And so my advice to my buddy was, do drugs better. If you do drugs better, then you're, you're going to have a much better chance of having things go well and be the transformative, beautiful, amazing experience that they can be rather than having a rough situation. And a lot of people, their experience with mushrooms, I hear this a lot, is that people, their mushroom experience, they're like, well, yeah, I did that back in college and me and some buddies, you know, we split this like huge amount of mushrooms and then we all lost our minds and that sucked and I'm never going to do it again. But that's like the equivalent of being like, yeah, six of us drank a keg of beer and we all threw up and that sucks. Beer is the worst. Like, no, you just did it wrong. Like it's like all about the dosage and the set and the setting. So that's my soapbox. I'll step up. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll join you in the soapbox for a little moment because that's, that's part of my hope is that people are able to have good first introductions. It's not even good, but just, you know, there, there's, there's a form of experience here that is incredibly valuable and you're not going to get it if you're already drunk in the backseat of the car on the way to a, you know, nine inch nails concert and you pop a bunch of mushrooms, like, there's there's a way that these things kind of reveal to you what's already there and so maybe it's just because my initial um kind of introduction to them like i i held off when i was younger for a long time even though you know some of these things were available like i i could just feel that there was 
something bigger there. So I, I went into, you know, reading Timothy Leary and, you know, uh, a lot of just trying to educate myself first. And I think because of that, I've always brought into it a ceremonial mindset that on the days that I choose to do these things, I don't do them just haphazardly because I'm at a party and someone hands me something. I, I like to, you know, if I'm at home, I like to clean my whole house. I like to just, you know, I, I like uh, Timothy Leary he has this thing. Um, your body is a temple, your home is a shrine. And so, um, you know, Timothy Leary is kind of a crazy guy. I probably disagree with a lot of his overall worldview, but some of these concepts, you know, if you can just beautify your surroundings and clear the space and time, or you can actually have an experience. If you clean your house and sit in a nice calm house, you're gonna have a great experience anyway. You introduce, you know, a, a little bit of psilocybin and suddenly you're, you're in the place that you always are, but you're now seeing it differently. You're seeing the patterns of your own behavior, your own thoughts, the, the, the patterns of the materials around you. It, it, it kind of brings out these deeper connections that normally we just don't pay attention to. But again, kind of enshrining that for me, um, you know, this is the way that I, I enjoy doing these things. I like to, I like the ceremony because it directs my intention. Um, I, I like to get outdoors. I like to be in nature. I like to be around people that I like to be around. And so if you can, again, you know, find people who, who already do these things comfortably and find a time that you can, you know, find a person or a guide or someone to just, you know, have an experience with you. Uh, that, that to me is totally different than just, you go to the doctor and they prescribe you psilocybin, you take the, the canister home and you're in your messy kitchen, like, all right, here we go. And you just like pop it. Like, I'm sure you can have some interesting experiences, but the overall opportunity here, I think is to bring back into your life, what real kind of cultural rituals and ceremonies and rites of passages have been completely removed. This is like individual uh, ceremony. And the other day, I actually, I watched a video. I think I sent it to you. It's by, it's great. This dude who's doing after school yeah. YouTube videos. Yeah. He's got so many just amazing videos. And he had this one from Terrence McKenna where uh, he, Terrence McKenna was talking about, you know, the whole systems being down on uh, psychedelics and that we should be doing more psychedelics. I'm like, you know what? He's right. So I went to my fridge, I got out a, a bit of mushroom chocolate bar and I just ate it. And that was almost like breaking my kind of prescribed course where I normally would be a little bit more prepared. I would have, you know, just kind of prepared my space in my day, but I just did it. And it revealed to me like so much of the patterns I'd been operating in, you know, the, the, the things that I was paying attention to and not paying attention to, and I really had, you know, a pretty profoundly introspective day, the, the peak of which, you know, kind of the, the high point for me was laying in my lawn, like looking up at the most amazing clouds I've ever seen. And just remembering that even though everything here was kind of a mess and I was in these ruts, I was in these patterns, you know, I wasn't tending my garden. I wasn't watering my grass. You know, all I had to do is like shift my gaze up and here's this beautiful tree. Here's these beautiful clouds. And it was all still right here. And man, I mean, what would that day have been otherwise? I would have just, you know, been back at the computer, just working, just that, that run on sentence that I'm always in. And for me, a psychedelic moment like that is just a punctuation mark. It's like a comma or a, a pause in the middle of these big run on sentences. So I can just like check in, 
you know, really find where my value lies. And then I know I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to get back to the patterns and everything else. But, you know, I, I've had that, that check-in with kind of the bigger forces at play and I can just relax, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I like the idea of the punctuation thing, um, you know, back to the like balance of everything in your life. Um, it's like different psychedelics sort of have different half-lives um, and they, you know, break down over time and you can integrate them over time. Um, and I, I personally feel like different psychedelics are going to be things that I do for the rest of my life. And they, some of them only need to be done like once every five years. And some of them are like once every two. And then there's a couple that are like once every six months. And then, you know, like a couple of them, it's like once a quarter and you can do, and, and then like, there's different, um, you know, amounts that you can do to have like psilocybin, for example, you can do microdosing, which everyone's heard about. And I've done a microdose experiment and it was like, I mean, by definition, a microdose is below the threshold that you feel that there's like effects happening. And so it sort of feels like a little bit of a burst of energy, really like a coffee buzz. Um, but there's like a creative, like mind opening element to it. But that was, that was actually pretty cool. Um, I definitely encourage everyone to try it. It was like a little microdose every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for a month. And, um, and I set an intention with it and I watched that intention grow over that month. And there was a lot of really cool um, overlapping and almost like weaving of concepts and ideas and uh, things there. Like that was a really cool way to, way to interact with it. Or you can step it up a little bit and have like, uh, you know, a, a smaller amount, like a gram or something. And then, or there's like the hero dose and like you're talking about, well, there's like large doses and then there's hero doses and um, everyone for the larger doses you want, you want a guide with you or, you know, or maybe you don't, maybe you just want to go, go all in, but you want to be experienced a little bit at that. But there's, a, it's such a, like, these are powerful tools that need to be handled with, with a lot of care. Where did you hear about the idea of um, like making a ceremony out of it and preparing yourself? And you know, I just, I think I was already on that course where I, when I was younger, I, I had some really strong experiences just from cannabis that really altered my, my view of things and knowing how strong those experiences could be. I, I really put uh, psychedelics on a pedestal. And I really thought the first time I did them, I was going to see dragons and lose my mind and just like fall into the technicolor, you know, craziness space. And so I, for years, you know, was, was reading up on it. I was preparing, I was writing in my journal and I would go out to the, the deserts of Utah uh, by myself with, you know, some LSD that I had got. And so it already became like a ceremony, you know, like I was going out there with the intention of doing this thing and I was going really far away from people. Cause I kind of thought I had to, I didn't think I was going to handle it. Well, I was just ready to kick the door down because I was sick of waiting and so I think I just got used to that kind of, um, you know, real intention behind, like, I'm leaving for a week and I'm going to go out to the desert. I'm going to have this experience and then I'm going to have to integrate it out there and then come back and then reintegrate into my life. 
And then, you know, I got to a certain age where I had friends that were also, you know, uh, into trying things and, and we'd go hiking and we'd just, you know, have these amazing days where we'd be out, you know, hiking up uh, some of the local, you know, <laughs> points of interest. And we'd just be, you know, on mushrooms all day, or we would drop some acid and we'd just be like out sitting underneath a rock, you know, in a rainstorm and just like sharing those experiences. And so I've just always kind of enshrined them in this like special uh, place and time. And that's still how I prefer to treat them. Because I think, you know, if you think that you are the master over this substance and, oh, this is psilocybin, it's just like caffeine. Oh, I'm just going to use it for my ends to like benefit myself or treat this or that. I think we're really missing the opportunity to say, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm going to let go of that. Uh, I think one of the most meaningful moments is, especially if you're new to psychedelics, that moment when you actually take that mushroom and eat it. You know, that is a surrendering of control. That is a, that is a, it's like jumping off a cliff, you know, diving into water. Like you're just, you're, you're committing to whatever the day brings. And that kind of a, you know, ceremonial kind of um, aspect. I'm not out with, you know, painting my face and beating drums. And, you know, I do play a flute quite often because that's really fun, you know? So it's not like you have to like put on the facade of other cultures to be a ceremony. I think just the ceremonial aspect is like, I'm holding this mushroom and I value this thing. I don't know what it is. I don't own it. I don't possess it, but I'm just going to open myself up to the experience that it's going to bring me. And I'm going to clear the space and time that I can just, you know, be with that experience. And so that to me is the ceremony. It doesn't need any other, you know, adornment or, um, you know, unless you want to, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing with all cultures, all places and times, you know, the ceremonies that develop around these things, they, they don't get their meaning from the, I don't think they get their meaning from the outward appearances. I think cultural ceremonies evolve organically from the inside over time. And you can do that yourself. You can, you can create for you, your own, you know, patterns of behavior that bring you into that mindset that allow you to, you know, take that jumping off point and to, you know, give things the space to, to grow. And if it, you know, like I said, I, you know, I have a bunch of bamboo flutes that I'll take and play. Like for me, that's always part of like a mushroom day or, you know, a, a psychedelic day, but it doesn't need it. You know, like there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just kind of creating the space and inviting in that unknowing. Hmm. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's like a commitment to the unknowing and uh, and I've seen people in, and I've been there too. Uh, there's like the part of a trip that can be early on where you're like holding on, you're like resisting the feelings that are coming up. Maybe there's fear involved of like the unknown of what's going to happen. And you'll, and the resistance creates like this blockage, blockage of energy. And then when the person just like lets go and says, okay let's see what happens. And then like, and energetically releases the hold on to that resistance, then everything flows again. It's like, everything turns into color. And instead of being this scary, weird thing, it's like, oh my God, the most beautiful, everything in the world. And, um, and it really, I think kind of can, that's where it can be a real teacher where like, 
mushroom trips, like psychedelic trips uh, can be such teachers for us because the little lessons that we gain in these like profound moments of like, oh, wow, I'm just resisting in life, you know, and it's creating anxiety and fear in me. What if I just don't? And I just like go with the flow. And then, then you take that into your life and you're like, oh, where am I doing that? Here, here, there, boom. And then you let go of those things and it changes. And that's why I mean, I, I really like that they're putting it on Newsweek as like a cure for depression, because I think it can help. Like there are so many ills in our society that our society probably creates and like the whole culture creates that if we brought these experiences to that, it could really help ease it and it wouldn't help it directly, but it would like this more like indirect, bigger picture thing. Um, Yes. And I hope the way that it does help it is by getting people to not need it. Sure. You know, if we have a toxic culture where we're all prioritizing the wrong things and now we need a cure for depression, I mean, that you're, you're treating symptoms at that point. And I don't think these things are about symptoms. I think they're about going to the deepest questions you have and seeing them in a new way. And so if these substances can be introduced into our culture and get people asking those questions so that they don't need treatment, that is the, the promise and the, the opportunity here. And you hear these stories all the time. You know, the guy who smoked cigarettes for 40 years and did psychedelics and just said, I'm done with that yeah. and just stopped, you know, that's not, that's not a treatment in that, that chemical, you know, you know, with the interactions in the brain, he no longer needed the right. nicotine. That's like he had an experience where he realized his priorities were bigger than what smoking was doing for him. And so if culturally we can quit smoking, whatever smoking might be, like that is something really interesting and, and something I'm hopeful for because, yeah, we are, we are living at such an interesting point in time. And I can't help but feel like these are one of the ways that Mother Earth has always regulated the flows and cycles of things. And even in the brains of the little monkeys that she bore, like, I think it just might be time to kind of take stock and really um, critically reevaluate the patterns of behavior that we are operating in, because they're, they're not likely to be sustained much longer unless we have some help course correcting a hundred percent a hundred percent well and we need to we need to raise our level of wisdom worldwide like as a collective and right now we're all thinking so like we as a human race are not connected on the individual level to the greater situation and how to solve these problems climate change um overpopulation like things are everything's just like looking pretty fucked um but that's where like these realizations that we have on these experiences can be taken into our own lives, which can, they can then translate out. We as individuals and we as like a culture and society and world are very attached to a lot of things that are making us sink. And mm. if we don't let go of these attachments, we're going to get taken down deep <laughs> and it's not, we're not going to be able to make it back. And I mean, the, the great thing about what these substances do is on these experiences, they bring you back to the core element of what's happening. You know, like the anxiety and depression that you're experiencing in your life, 
you're like, well, where does that come from? Oh, I I'm having memories of like my childhood or whatever. And like, you know, there's like inner child work that can be done. And these are like a fast track to that. You can work with therapy and you can like work your way back. And that's one way to do it. And some therapists are really good at it and some aren't, but um, like mushrooms are little therapists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they will take you in, into yourself. So one more big, big thought to drop on you on that last line of talk, because I, I do think quite often about, um, about, about the world, where we're at, where we've come from. I'm reading a really great book right now. It's called new dark age. It's really upsetting, but in a, in a good way, you know, like it, it, it challenges a lot of preconceptions about technology and about progress and some of these, uh, <laughs> these banners that we've carried and, and really done some questionable things uh, under, but back to the, the psychedelics as being a potential, not a treatment for, but a, a fundamental way to break some of these patterns. Um, I was just thinking while you were speaking about how I've always really appreciated in Buddhism, which I'm not a Buddhist, but I like in Buddhism that when uh, Gautama Siddhartha fled his palace, went out into the wilds and uh, had his whole experience to become the enlightened one, when he sat down under the Bodhi tree, he said that he was going to sit and he wasn't going to stand back up until he had attained enlightenment for all sentient beings. And then he had his experience and he stood up. So there is the possibility for a human to undergo an experience or a transformation of perspective or whatever you want to call it, such that you can come to a moment where you can see that everything is right where it needs to be. The Buddha liberated all sentient beings when he realized that they were already liberated. And that to me is the deepest or, or the highest, um, you know, culmination of mental um, uh, experience that I think I've had with these substances is when, when you can sit and you can feel how there is not a speck of dust in the universe that's out of place. Like that's the moment that you're liberated, I'm liberated, like everything is liberated from this, this kind of... Um, this kind of trap of, of thinking and trying to correct or trying to will or overpower. And so I think that there's a lot of teachings that you can get to through meditation, through dedicating yourself to, um, you know, precepts of living. Uh, psychedelics happen to be a, a pretty expedient way to get to some of those same thought processes or, or you know, modes of thinking. And yeah, that, that same realization that I think the Buddha was talking about is attainable for anyone at any time. And, and, it, and, and, and then we don't need to save the world. <laughs> and then we don't, you know, we don't have this, this banner of progress to carry anymore. We can, we can really sit back and we can appreciate and we can anchor into that gratitude and connections and relationships and yeah, I, I, I appreciate that that is a gift that I have been given through some of these experiences. And it makes, um, it makes everything else uh, okay. <laughs> I don't think I would have found that any other way mm -hmm. when I thought my brain was going to explode because I couldn't just deal with the nature of things and 
the traps we're in and the state of the world and all the things there are to be afraid of. But if you can, if you can die in this lifetime and come back, then what's left to do? <laughs> Snaps around. Ryan Stover, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the? That oh, was the I love it. Stopper. Die before you die before you die. Yeah, and I mean that's like very much I would say directed towards the ego and like our perception, our, our like tight grasp on the way that things are and what's going on and how we fit in it and like who we are and what we need to be and um yeah loosen up loosen up and like feel the oneness of everything and the divine plan and all that good stuff and uh and get back to work and get back to work yeah and then the next day chop wood and carry water and do it all over again and that's the breath of life folks all right cleared all that up for you art and life podcast that's what we do here (laughs) i like that i like okay now i get the two parts we got the art up front we got the life in the back yeah it's a great golf course you're running yeah it's business in the front party in the back love it uh art and life is much like a mullet totally yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) cool all right well uh thanks ryan for being on the show really appreciate thanks for having me thanks for letting me talk at you (laughs) thanks everybody for listening cool and yeah and uh i want to get you on my podcast sometime soon but i would love it if we were in physical space and time on the beach i think we, we have some intention to get that direction so yeah yeah i, I can't wait for you coming. guys to come out here it'll be great um yeah let's do it yeah it'll be a whole different take on a podcast and you'll hear some waves in the background that'll mm-hmm. be cool i like that idea. <laughs> i like the organic flow of what you have going where you just record where you're at let's do it cool cool all right well Cheers, Ryan. Cheers. All right, my friends. That was my interview with Ryan Stover. Wow. (laughs) That just happened. That just happened. What an adventure life is. Yeah, it's, it's wild because I've been thinking about having a podcast like this for a little while. Because um, as I said, I like, wanted to talk about certain things, um, you know, psychedelic related, um, you know, things like that for a long time. But I didn't really know how to broach the subject and with whom I should do that. And it was perfect with Ryan. Um, yeah, his wife, Kayla, a good friend of mine. Um, she sent me that interview that he did with the doctor and it was awesome and it's just along the lines of so many things that I've heard and felt and um, yeah felt like it was time time to talk about these things because I don't know life's too short to hold back on things like this and and the whole tide has been shifting in the bigger conversation of psychedelics and drugs and you know what they're good for what they're not good for and a lot of times i hear people talking about them 
in ways that don't feel accurate to me or correct. And um, oftentimes I want to give my opinion on it, but um, you know, they are illegal and they're, uh, they can be abused. They can, they can have a negative side to them. Um, but that's why I feel like it's very important to, uh, yeah, like he, like Ryan said, like treat things ceremonially and, um, with respect, you know, the golden rule applies here as well. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, Ryan Sover, how refreshing is it to listen to him talk about things? I just, I feel like his uh, authenticity and directness are really powerful and that uh, he's, he's a really awesome energy because by him doing that, it feels like it kind of loosens me up to be the same and feel the same. And um, yeah, he's a really intelligent dude. Definitely jump over and check out all of his stuff subscribe to his YouTube channel, see what's going on over there. <laughs> How fun to make a viral video. <laughs> what a trip. Oh, Ryan's a heavy hitter. It's great. Um, yeah. What do you think about all this stuff? Reach out to me. Say, say what's up on Instagram or send me a message on my website. Um, how do you feel about these things? I mean, the whole world is changing. How do you feel about it? Are you, do you use any sort of psychedelics, entheogens in your world? Do you have them, like, do they help you out in certain ways? Have you had bad experiences with them? Um, you know, this is like a bigger conversation that's going on a lot. And, uh, and a lot of people have opinions and viewpoints on them. I would love to hear what you have to say about it. So feel free to reach out. Um, yeah, more good stuff on the way. I feel like these interviews are just getting better and better as we go along. It's so cool. Thanks for following along. Thanks for joining me on this road. Um, I hope that you're getting as much out of it as I am because this has been, it's a very, um, I don't know, transformational experience. It's wild having a podcast. I recommend it to everybody. Uh, it's like a, it's it's a journey in lots of different ways. And in that way, it's definitely art. Um, it's self-expression. And mine is self-expression through expression of others, which is really cool. So art and life, folks. There it is. <laughs> Cheers.